Uh, this morning, though, has not started off <coughs> perfectly. Yesterday, I got it in my mind that I was going to be, you know, the old guy on the platform. I knew Brother Brandon, worship team, lots of young adults. I just didn't want to stick out. So I went to Hewland Mall yesterday, and I actually got me some skinny jeans. <laughs> I thought, that is what's going to help me identify the young people will listen to me. What I didn't realize this morning, though, when I got up, have you ever tried to pull skinny jeans over Depends? That is, <laughs> that is absolutely the hardest thing. And some of you are saying, you've given me a picture I'll never get over the rest of my life. So if you want to know how long the sermon's going to be this morning, it obviously depends. So <laughs> you know this thing can't, can't go too long. We're going to be the Methodist to the cafeteria, so that's all good. And when you do see Kenny, be sure and tell him how God feels about absences from church. You people are sweet people. You're warm. Music has been warm. I have an idea that if I ask you to do something right now, I think, I think MacArthur would do it. I think if I said to everybody, stand up, I think you guys would stand up. And if, you, if it made sense to, to be a part of a, a demonstration, I think most of you would try to go along with it. There's too many of you to fit at the front, so I, I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. What if we all stood to our feet, everybody, and everybody walked to the front, but I gave you places to stand. If we really did the demonstration, let me ask you, where would you stand? Where would you go if this was the plan? What if I said, we want a group to congregate right here at the head of this aisle. We want a group to, to congregate here, and if you choose to stand here, you're going to be saying, I am on my way toward God. Somebody is out there. I, I am no atheist. There's no way. Got myself up this morning, got myself dressed, figured out a church would probably be a place that has answers. So I'm here this morning to say, I am on my way toward God. Now, knowing MacArthur a little bit, if we had a group congregate right here, I bet 10 or 15 of these folk would come hug some necks and say, Brother, sister, you are in the right place. So appreciate your intellectual honesty. Glad you're here to find answers. But others of you, you know, to try to find your place, some of you would say, well, ah, that's, that's not exactly where I would go. I would probably be part of this group right here, big group. By standing here, I would say there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. Finally, somebody explained to me, know him, you can actually have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, death on the cross. I received that gift of salvation into my heart. So now I don't just look for Jesus, I know him. But even though I know Jesus, right now the most important person in my life is me. Now by that I mean, you know, just a typical day, trying to get through the day. Basically, I'm preoccupied with me, my problems, my hardships, my crazy kids, my finances, my health concerns, you know, just the normal things of life. And really what I'm trying to figure out is how do I get through my day? Now, to be perfectly honest, I do tell Jesus my troubles. In fact, I don't even know how these poor people make it. If you didn't have Jesus to help you with your problems, oh my goodness. So, of course, I tell him my problems. But even in all of that, really the, the focus of all of that would be me. Now, the group that ought to congregate here... I'm not absolutely certain they would come because the same people that ought to go here are also so humble they probably wouldn't want to put themselves forward. It might take a friend leading them over there. But regardless, however, however this group came together, they would be saying, 
There was a time in my life I was looking for God. I found out I could know him through Christ's death on the cross. I received him into my heart. And I can't take credit for a single thing that's happened in my life since then. It's all the work of God. But somehow I find myself this morning saying, the most important person in my world is Jesus. Now, now by that I mean just getting through the day, he is my preoccupation. Really, my mind continually turns back toward him. He's the one I'm thinking for. He's the one I'm living for. And actually, I have the same problems as everybody else. Oh, my goodness, I could tell you my troubles. But even in my hardships, even in my challenges, what's always on my mind is, Oh, I wonder how Jesus is going to draw attention to himself through this crisis. Oh, I wonder how he's going to bring his kingdom more on the earth as we go through this challenge. And actually, it's the same thing for my family. I mean, when my family's going through something hard, we literally are sitting on the couch saying to each other, boy, this is tough. I wonder what Jesus is up to now. I wonder how he's going to be glorified through this situation in our family. So even as a family... Our preoccupation is Jesus. Lost. Convert. Disciple. Lost. Convert. Disciple. All of you know there's bad research. I guess today we would call it fake research. There's bad research out there, but there's also good research that's trustworthy. Can I show you some trustworthy research? If I spend 18 years growing up in a home and my mom and dad don't know Jesus, that now they might be good people, might have a good work ethic, might be moral, might be conservative, they might even watch Fox News, but if they don't know, <laughs> but if they don't know Jesus, there is a high statistical probability that I will spend my adult life lost. Now, there are a few exceptions. In fact, several of you this morning are the exception. You grew up in a house. Nobody knew Jesus. Somehow later in life, you miraculously were saved. Those people clearly exist, but there's not that many of them. The statistical probability is if I watch two lost parents for 18 years, I will live my life lost. The good research says if I spend 18 years in a house with mom and dad who are disciples, not perfect But just basically mom and dad live their life. Jesus is the preoccupation of their lives. He's the one that's driving decisions at home. He's actually a topic of conversation around the house. If I watch that for 18 years, the high statistical probability is that I will live my life as a disciple of Jesus. Let me give you an example. So so a young man graduates high school, goes to the big university, out of this home, and he approaches spring break, Walking through a campus building, he sees a bulletin board that says, Spring break trip, come with us. We're going to rebuild an orphanage in Haiti in five days. And that college student says, I'm going on that trip. That sounds about twice as much fun to me as being drunk on a beach for five days. In other words, even at age 19, this guy is already thinking like a disciple of Jesus. Lost parents generally have lost kids. Disciple parents generally have disciple kids. Convert parents have kids who live their adult lives as if they were lost. 
Not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about lifestyle. If we go down to the church house on Sunday, and we know how to fit in with everybody else, we know how to do the whole church thing, but I can tell Monday through Saturday, that's not what's driving our family. What's driving our family is trophies, scholarships, roses on the 50-yard line, traveling teams. There's a whole lot of other things in our house that seem to be what we're preoccupied with, and nobody really is talking much about Jesus. The, the, the dissonance between that religious profession on Sunday and what I can tell of the actual priorities of our house during the week, the dissonance between those two things, it fries my wiring so much so that when I get off at the Big Bad University, I don't have enough faith to hold me. And literally, the collegiate ministers will tell you, even after a week or two, these students are already starting to live like the lost people. Now, I can't read anyone's mind this morning. Of course I can't. But I do wonder if somebody's having a little, you know, discussion with me. I wonder if there's anyone in the house that would say, uh, Brother Richard, to use your perfectly ridiculous illustration, I would be in the middle. And I am perfectly fine with that. I am going to be here on Sunday morning. I don't want anybody saying that I'm an atheist. And by the way, it's a little easier to sell insurance when you go to somebody's church. I am going to be here on Sunday. But you know what? There's some other pieces to my life that are pretty important to me too. I, I, make, I make some decent uh, income. And actually, I'm treated with respect here in the community. And Brother Richard, you, you wouldn't like this at all. But if my kids turn out just like me, I actually would be fine with that. Now, I do want them to go to church. Yes, sir, I want them to get up and go to church. But I don't want them to be a nut about it. My friend, I've been walking beside these teenagers for 48 years. And I have watched thousands of them move from high school to adulthood. And I'm just going to tell you what the research says and my own eyes have seen. When they get out from underneath your direct control and they can do what they want to, they're going to break your heart into. And later, after they take your grandkids through three messy divorces, you're going to say, this hasn't turned out like I was expecting at all. Maybe the most important sentence I will speak this morning is this. This may be it. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. You're in a great church. Nobody doubts that. I mean, I was a youth pastor in North Dallas a long time. We all knew about MacArthur. We love and respect this church. Your leaders, primo leaders, and that does matter. I'll refer to that later in the sermon. But mom and dad, listen to me. For you to have a vain hope that having your kids in a good church with good programs will make up the difference for your heart, 
It is not going to turn out that way. You're the deal. What I would invite you to consider is that where you are standing spiritually has everything to do with what you can expect to happen to your kids later in life. Now, you might be sitting there this morning saying, okay, I'm kind of that middle, but you know what? My kids are here. They come to everything up here at the church. Fine. I've been a youth pastor. I know they'll keep coming mostly. Cute girls, good pizza, nice trips. I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of keep people coming. But when they are away from this, if they haven't seen mom and dad alive to Jesus, living as disciples of Christ, there's nothing to hold them. Now, for some of you, this, this grouping here ought to give you pause this morning. Because this isn't just visitors. You can be a baptized member of this church and be as lost as you can be. And one way to detect that, based on our message this morning, one way to detect that is if you would say as a parent, I can't tell that there's really anything inside of me that yearns to see my children in love with Jesus. Yes, I want them to be moral. Yes, I want them to be conservative. But no, I wouldn't say there's anything inside of me that longs to see my kids live for the glory of God. If you don't have those cells inside of you, you need to consider the possibility that you are stone cold lost and you are one drunk driver away from an eternity in hell. And it's not just you and your generation. You see, if that's you and that's your parenting, the high probability is that once you go to a bad place, you're going to watch that iron door open several times because each of your children will follow you to that place. So for some, the real issue is, what is my spiritual condition this morning in terms of salvation? But I think for most of the church this morning, for most of the church this morning, the real question is, am I a convert or am I a disciple? Now, the reason I know a lot of people consider that is because folk walk up to me after services like this and they tell me. Just the other day, I had a senior lady walk up and say, Brother Richard, some would say I'm an anchor of the church. So how could it be that only this morning am I really dealing with the question, am I a convert or am I a disciple? It's a great question. I'm a traveling speaker, so you don't have to look at me in the future. That's a positive. So maybe, maybe you would give me permission to probe a little bit. Something wakes you up. Whatever wakes you up, what's your first conscious thought after that? Where's that snooze button? Or... I am throwing off this sheet. I am going to my favorite place and I am going to sit and worship the king of glory. Which of those two things would be more typical for you? I'm not talking about saying grace over your post-toasties. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about extended prayer, scripture, because you want to. Not for a Baptist checklist, but because you desire at the beginning of the day to stand before the King of Kings and spend time with him. Would you say that is typical for you morning by morning? When you do pray, whenever that is, whenever you pray, would you, you know yourself really well, would you say most of your prayer 
is directed toward the glory of Christ. Most of it is praising him. Most of it is telling him all the ways he's great and glorious. Or would you say the majority of your prayer time is give me prayers. Okay, Jesus, let me tell you everything that's hard in my life. Let me tell you all my troubles and why don't you just fix everything. In other words, would you say the majority of your prayer time, most of the minutes are for his benefit and glory, or would you say most of your prayer time is for you? Most of you are going to have some way to read the Bible on Sunday morning, and it's kind of embarrassing if you don't. So most of us will have something with the Bible in it. But what about Monday through Saturday? Would you say the pages of Scripture are so interesting to you that during the week, on your own time, you are going to go back to Scripture primarily because you're so in love with the author that you want to know what he has to say to you? Would you say that's typical for you? Or would you say, basically, the Bible is a Sunday morning prop not to be disturbed much during the week? Obviously, questions could continue, but but let me just summarize. Let's just summarize. Once again, you know yourself really well. Would you basically say you are motivated to be a person of faith primarily for the benefits it brings to you? In other words, would you say, I've always had this sneaking suspicion, if you go down to the church You keep your nose clean, you live a good life, you put a dollar in the plate. I've just always had this little hunch that if you're a religious person, life just turns out better. You know, I just assume if I ever get laid off, I'll probably get a better job with a raise. If if my wife gets cancer, I just assume she'll get well. I assume I'll have better looking kids. You know, I'm doing this whole religious thing because I think my life will be better or... I embrace this life of faith primarily because of the glory of Christ. I am doing this mostly for him. Which of those two things would be true for you? Well, adults, if this was just some adult lesson this morning, that would be fascinating for you to consider for your own life. I mean, your life here on earth. But this morning, I'm asking you to consider those questions because that has everything to do with the generation coming behind you. Is this for you or is this for him? Does he exist to make you happy or do you exist for his glory? Does he exist to solve your problems or do you exist to take whatever challenges are in your life and turn those for his good and glory? Are you already beginning to sense that in this message you are standing at a crossroads? You are, some of you. Because some of you in a flash of insight are seeing some things about yourself more clearly than you have recently. I want you to turn to Psalm 110. Our text for this morning, Psalm 110. I'm going to share with you three challenges. That's all, three challenges and we're done. What would you say you most need to hear to move from convert to disciple? I think these three challenges are pretty close. My first challenge to you is this. Experience an awakening. Experience an awakening to who Christ really is. Experience an awakening to who Christ really is. The main difference between converts and disciples 
is not, oh, I work harder at church. The main difference is one group sees Jesus much more clearly. And they are so in awe of him, it changes everything about their existence. Did you know Psalm 110 is the Old Testament passage that is quoted more in the New Testament than any other? Did you know Psalm 110 is quoted more often by Jesus than anything else in the Old Testament? Wouldn't that be a hint to you that this is going to be kind of a big deal? It is. Let's read. Verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Who's speaking? God the Father is speaking to God the Son. God the Father says to his Son, sit at my right hand. What on earth is going on? This is a historical event that took place 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. 40 days after Easter. In fact, at my house, we celebrate 40 days after the resurrection because we think this is a big deal. David looked a thousand years into the future and he saw this event. Obviously, writing in Psalm, he had to look a thousand years into the future. He saw clearly an event that was going to happen and later it happened. What actually happened was Jesus had been teaching in his resurrected body for 40 days. Now he ends up on the Mount of Olives. I have stood just about where Jesus was standing at this moment. Apostles, followers were right there in front of him. He bids them farewell. He gives them a final commission. And the Bible says his body started going up, up, up through the clouds. You knew that part. But do you know what happened five minutes after Jesus went through the clouds? Do you know? Jesus walked in the front gate of heaven, probably came down the center concourse of heaven, approached his father, and his father stood up and said, sit at my right hand. The father enthroned the son at the throne on the right hand. Why right hand and not left hand? In ancient times, the throne that's on the right is always the the, the throne of position, of honor, respect, and authority. The father says, in this age of the church, I'm putting the son in the throne on the right hand. My friend, from that day to this day, Jesus has been reigning king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus did not spend yesterday sitting on the edge of a well with children in his lap. He spent yesterday ruling over the universe. I would like to ask you, this morning in your morning prayer before you came to church, was there any sense in your prayer time that you were standing before and addressing the king? Anything in your mind's eye that caused you to see him sitting enthroned this morning? You know why that's helpful? You know why in my great room very early this morning, I literally could picture him on an elevated throne? When you feel that you're approaching the king, when he takes his hands and shushes the music of heaven momentarily, leans over and gives you permission to speak, what are you going to say? Well, Jesus, I just have so many. Of course not. All you can get out of your mouth initially is holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And you spend the first bunch of your prayer time just honoring him if he's the king they told us we'd never have children and we had all kinds of trouble so it took 16 years to get a living child on earth and because it took 16 years my only living child is a 20 something and he's just a normal kid but he just loves telling people about Jesus especially mean people especially mean people that like to cut your head off 
And so he goes on short-term mission trips. And so on one of his short-term mission trips, I knew there was trouble. I, I couldn't get all the details, but there was something about a Jeep being turned upside down. Back then, we were just, you know, getting with the cell phone thing, so I wasn't absolutely certain that he got on that plane. So, you know, whatever the flight was, 13, 14 hours, we're, we're out there at DFW Airport waiting, waiting, waiting. And you can't go through security, of course, to go to the gate anymore. So we were, you know, looking down those halls, looking. And finally, I saw my son Clayton. I saw him turn a corner, and there he was, safe and sound. So my wife looks over at me, and I've got tears. And she said, hey, Richard, I understand the tears. You know, we were very nervous about our son on this particular trip, and he's safe. And I said, okay, a lot about the tears is because our son is safe. But I said, it's not all. I said, you know, I preach about this sometimes. I said, I don't know why, but standing right here, I just had a thought. I said, there was another day when a father was looking, 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 and he saw his son walk in, not from a mission trip. He saw his son from earning the salvation of mankind. And as his son approached him, that proud dad stood up and said, be enthroned at my right hand. Oh my goodness, that is who we are living for daily. That is who we are living for. He's the point of the day, not my troubles. That's not all the dad said, though. The dad said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Well, that sounds strange. Until you know that in ancient times when a king defeated another king, often they would just kill the losing king, but not every time. Sometimes to humiliate the losing king, they would bring him into the palace, put him on his hands and knees in front of the king in that elevated throne, and that king sitting up high would put his black boots on the back of the losing king, not for a day or a week, but sometimes for years. Father God is saying to his son, sit at my right hand, and son, I'm going to progressively put the forces of evil under your feet. And he's doing that even today. Verse 2, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength. The Hebrew will allow two interpretations there. It could be that that means the rod of correction, and that obviously fits. But I think the likelier interpretation is scepter. I think the father turned to the son now at the right hand and said, Son, take the scepter. Why? Because in ancient times, the one that's holding the scepter has the authority. I think in this age of the church, the Godhead has chosen the son, the clearest incarnation and revelation of the Godhead to declare this is who God is. He is reigning front and center for us today. Yes, he was on earth in his humiliation. Yes, he was bruised and bleeding. Yes, he died limp. All of that necessary for our salvation, but that is not who he is today. Have you updated your view of him to say he is my king? Because of that, he has authority over every decision I make. Does MacArthur Boulevard believe in the second coming of Jesus? I know you do. Do you guys believe in the visible second coming of Jesus? I know you do. 
Probably in our lifetime, the way things are going right now, probably in our lifetime, we're going to hear the trumpet music and we're all going to run out in the yard. And when you stand out there in your yard and you're looking up and Jesus splits open the heavens and descends to earth, do you think at that moment he's going to be great and glorious? Do you? I know you do. Watch, watch. Who Jesus will be descending to earth is precisely who he is today. He doesn't become something else. If you were up this morning praying, that's who you were talking to. Challenge number two. Be transparent about your awakening with your kids. Be transparent about your awakening. I I guess, parents, we could be so guarded, so private that the kids really wouldn't even know what's happening in our own relationship with God men if I could address the men I think by DNA I think we are more reserved than the ladies I think the ladies tend to be much more expressive about anything that's going on inside of them I think we men are more reserved I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all I think that's just how we're made no harm no foul unless unless We are so completely reserved, the kids don't even know what's going on. Dad, I want to show you something practical. So you and Jesus fall more in love, and because of that, you're you're moving that alarm back a little bit. You want a little bit more time for worship. And so you're sitting in your barca lounger, and you've been having some good prayer. You've been reading, reading the Bible. And, you know, in reading the Bible, you go, whoa, 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 that's pretty good. Oh, man, that that is good stuff right there. Okay, what are you going to do about that? Well, you take your Bible to breakfast. Finally, your high school daughter wakes up. She walks in. Uh, you say, sweetie, come here, come here, come here. Lean over my shoulder. Come here. I was having my worship time this morning. I was reading the Bible. Oh, man, this is good. I never saw this before. This verse is real. All these teenagers that last hour were in Bible study, I applaud that. I gave all my life as a youth minister to great Bible study on Sunday morning. Believe in it strongly. But you know what? That little scene of that high school girl leaning over her dad's shoulder, I think that's worth about 20 Sunday school lessons. You know why? Because that's my daddy, the most important man in my life. And he just gave me a little bit of a reminder that he's up worshiping every morning and he loves the word of God. When that girl is 37, the way she's living her life every day, the way she's parenting her kids, the way she's serving up at the church, all of that is going to be influenced by scenes just like that. Be more awakened to who Jesus really is. Be transparent about it in front of your kids. Three and last, partner with your church to see your kids look like Jesus. Partner with your church. Did you know all of this changes how you you see the announcements? In the future, they throw up a slide and it says, oh, we're going to have a class, show parents how to spiritually lead at home even better. And you're saying to yourself, you know, six weeks ago, I, I didn't pay any attention to stuff like that, but I do now. Anybody going to give me some help or support in, in spiritually leading at home? I'm all over that. You know why? Because I'm partnering with my church to see my kids look like Jesus. And it influences decisions you make at home, you know, with the family. Dad, dad, listen to this little speech. Coach, I appreciate you more than I can say. Coach, I've been watching. You have taken an interest in my son extra. And I I can't, you know, man to man, I'm telling you, I appreciate it. 
And I know what you're saying to me, that, that these days the scouts are much more likely to show up for a traveling team than a school team. I understand that. And, and for you to open up a spot on the traveling team for my boy, I know you're doing my family a big favor. But coach, you're telling me that with this particular league, uh, the, the, the boys will be out six Sunday mornings in a row. Coach, not only am I trying to build a blue chipper, I'm trying to build a young man with a heart for God. We can't miss church and, and build a heart for God. Coach, I got to say no on this one, and you and I will just watch for other ways to, to build in and, and support my son. Okay, anybody think that would be easy to say? No, it's not easy to say. We all love any opportunity our kids have. We applaud anything they're into. But what you've got to keep coming back to is, what is the main thing? And in my parenting, am I keeping the main thing the main thing? The payoff is, 20 years later, these adults come sit at your Thanksgiving table, and your son turns to you, Dad, and he says, you know, Dad, when I was growing up, you had to make a few calls that I wasn't that excited about. But, Dad, you need to know, I know you did the right thing. And the fact that me and my little family are all active at church serving Christ together, it is all related to some of those decisions that you made. Maybe three Sundays ago, we had the same schedule as this. Go from this service out to a food function. And a dad walked out of this service and found me at the noon thing. And he said, Brother Richard, your sermon could not have described me any better. He said, I was a good old Baptist. I was faithful on Sunday morning. But it was not real in my heart. He said, my adult sons are not in church. And he said, recently both told me, I will forbid you from seeing your grandchildren unless you will promise me never to bring up religion around them. And then he said, Brother Richard, you better keep preaching this because it's the truth. Back to Clayton. He's going to get on a plane with some group going to a place where there's mean people. But what if next time his body comes home in a box? Perish the thought. Probably one of your pastors would just mention it, you know, because I've been here. A pastor would probably mention that. Services will be Wednesday, Wedgwood Baptist Church. What, what if you came to the funeral? Just a crazy, crazy thought, and you just decide, I'm going to go. So you sit in the back, you look down here on the second row. I'm, I'll tell you ahead of time, I'm going to be crying like a schoolgirl. You know why? Because I love my son more than I can put into words. Anybody that knows us would tell you that. So if I'm not going to see him again on this earth, I'm going to be plenty sad about that. But if you come out to the circular drive and catch me before they put me in the black car and ask me a question... You might say, Brother, Brother Ross, I can't explain this. To be honest, I didn't even, I didn't even meet you at, at, when we were at MacArthur. But I felt, I don't know, I just felt a connection with you. And crazy thought, I'm, I'm here. It, it, can, can I just ask you one thing? How do you really feel about the fact that now there will never be a grandchild in your lap? Ever. 
How, how do you feel about the fact that Christmas from now on will be you hand your wife a present, she hands you a present, and you go to bed, and that's it the rest of your life? How do you feel about the fact that eventually nobody comes to sit with you in hospice and you die alone? I can't tell you what I would say because I don't think anybody can know. But I do know what I wish I would say. What I wish I would say is, it is well with my soul. Do you know why I want to be able to say that? Because Clayton Allen Ross is on earth for the glory of God. That is what he's doing down here. And if the king of glory says in this particular instance, I would be glorified by the faithfulness of a young man who eventually lays down his life as a martyr for the... If the king decrees that, how could a dad say anything other than it is well with my soul? But here's the point. There is nothing special or unusual about Clayton at all. Every child, every young person in this church, they are on earth for the glory of God. That's what they're doing down here. Mom and dad, listen to me. No part of your parenting is more important than you parenting in such a way that it is most likely that your sons and daughters are going to go live that life that glorifies God, that they complete the mission they were put on earth to complete. Mom and dad, nothing is more important than that. Would you just bow your heads? Just bow your heads. Musicians, come. We come to a moment of of decision and commitment. You know, in in five or ten minutes, we're going to be out in the lobby, running around, back in our normal life. And some of you know, you've got scant minutes here to make some decisions. Because, you you know, you're sharp people. You, You see the issues very clearly. And you know there's there's a fork in the road here. Am I going to let a lot of other things excite me more about my kids and their future and all of that? Or am I going to, to care about nothing more than, number one, spiritually leading my own children, and number two, parenting them in such a way that we make it as likely as we can that they will live adult lives for the glory of God? Pastors will be here at the front. Any spiritual need question, they would love to talk with you about. But just today, I I wonder if a lot of you wouldn't say, I don't need to really speak to a pastor today. What I really need to do is get down there and kneel in the altar and just say a, a prayer. Just say, Jesus, I love you. Of course, you know how much I love you. But I do feel a need this day to rededicate myself again to spiritually leading my family, my home. I feel a need today to say, Lord Jesus, nothing will be more important to me than letting my kids know I adore you and I want them to adore you. If you happen to be married, I think it would be a sweet thing to come together, kneel together. If you're a single parent, you come on. You know Jesus will kneel beside you, be right here for you. You know he will. Senior adults, some of you might feel compelled this day to pray for grandkids. Wonderful. I know your knees don't kneel. So we're just going to make the front row here part of the prayer altar. An older adult, you just come, sit here at the front, pray for your grandkids, go back to your seat. Sometimes moving, doing something concrete, 
nails decisions in our lives. So I'm just asking you, if there's a tug inside you at all to say, I got to really get serious about leading in my family spiritually, then just come on and kneel at the front and tell Jesus. He'd love, he'd love to hear that from your lips. Holy Spirit.